the comic book pit. Okay. Sundays, I admit that. Like I was watching, you know, either football or the World Series. But I, Monday nights, I'll queue it up on demand. I, you know, it's funny. I don't watch it Sunday nights either, only because, um, you know, like Jen's not into like horror stuff, and I'm not gonna, you know, ask her to go into another room while I watch <laughs> The Walking Dead. Um, so I'll usually either watch it, you know, like on my lunch break at work or, um, she works Tuesday nights. So I can usually catch up on a lot of my like geek television at that point. Gotcha. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I've been, um, the first, you know, first three episodes I've been pretty impressed with. Yeah. I've been digging it. I mean, I, I watched, uh, as we know, I watched the finale last uh, season. Because I had uh, cable then, so I tuned in for it. And, and as I said then, if this is going to be like this every week, it, I'm, I'm a fan. And uh, it, it's it's intense. It's mm-hmm. riveting. And I, was, um, this part, this past week when they were in the church and the uh, terminus gang mm-hmm. rolled up on the church, which that was a powerful shot. It almost lost me when Rick and the gang leave the church to go find the the. The terminus, yeah. Folks. And then it, the camera just sits there, and I'm like, "What the hell? Did, did this pause? Like, on demand is glitch?" And then you see the terminus come out of the the woods. I was like, "Oh, those sneaky terminus folks! They were waiting." And then I'm just like, I'm bundled nerves watching that scene <laughs> in the church. Like, oh snap! Like, I thought like this is gonna be yeah like, a massacre in a tiny room. I I they bust through that door. I was trying. I thought the same thing, especially like, yeah, like you said, the part where the camera just settled on that one patch of road and, and it was dark and you couldn't really tell what was going on. And I'm like, well, well who's going to come out of the woods or like, what are we looking at? And, um, yeah. And, and I was, and simultaneously I'm trying to remember the storyline from the comics. Cause this was a direct lift. From, so was it from the comics, but they, they changed things up enough to make it to, to really to, to say to the readers, this is kind of the story, you know, but we're taking it, we're, we're going about it a different way. Like that, like the massacre scene actually never happened in the church. Mm. The, um, 
you know, uh, Rick and the gang found them at their hiding place. Oh, okay. In the comics, and did you know, and, and tore them up there. Um, they actually didn't do it there in the in the church itself. I think it was a little more powerful the way the TV show did it then. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I really liked, you know, the, the, the storytelling decisions they're making. Um, the fact that they, in, in the comics, it wasn't, I mean, Bob never existed in the comics. Okay. Bob was created for the show. In the comics, it was actually Dale that was, he was still alive at that point. Dale survived beyond... Dale the prison. was the um, bearded dude that yeah, was with the, in with the, the fishing movies. Okay. Yeah, with the, yeah. With, with the fishing hat, he was kind of like the, the the pacifist, like the voice of reason. Yeah. Like the, hey, I, I am a fan, but that doesn't mean I know the names. It's still yeah. crossbow dude, katana lady. Right. Well, they um, yeah. I mean, so he, you know, his character was killed in season two, but in the comics, I did see that. Yeah, I've I, I watched. I'm, I'm somewhat savvy. So yeah, yeah, you're you're familiar. So yeah, but eating, wasn't he? well, he was out like it was when they were on the farm, and a walker just kind of snuck up on him and had him pinned, and kind of and literally just like tore his stomach open. Yeah, okay, I did see and that. and they couldn't. There was like no way of saving him, and so they just kind of put him down. I don't think I saw. What is the season? Is this four or five? This is season five. Season three was the farm. Season two was the farm. Season two was the farm. Holy crap! Season um, yeah, season, that was season two, and where the little girl was in the barn the whole time. And, right. Wow. Okay, then I missed way more than I realized. But um, yeah, season season three was them finding the prison and the governor. Okay, uh, yeah, I never saw any of that. Season four was, you know, like life at the prison. And the governor returning and various things happening. Um, and then leading up to, yeah, where we are now with season five. Yeah, season four ends with Terminus. Season four begins with the prison, ends with Terminus. Season five <laughs> begins with the end of Terminus. Yeah. And now we're introduced to where we find Father Gabriel, who is in the book. Uh, I don't remember how how long he's around for. I think he's actually around for a while. But again, if they've proven anything, what happens in the book is not necessarily what happens in the right in the show, or vice versa. Like the whole thing with um, Beth being well, yeah, abducted. Because that's my next question. Okay, uh, who's she, Beth? Beth was one of Herschel's daughters. She's Maggie's sister. Oh, okay. And okay. she was. She was in the comic. Um, now, there, in the comic, Herschel had a larger family, like more kids, and they were mostly fodder. The only <laughs> one that's in the book, the only one that's still around is Maggie. Um, but in the show, Maggie and Beth survived the prison. Um, when the prison got torn up by the governor and his army, um, Daryl and Beth lit out one like everyone was just scattered like everyone was it was ever like pretty much every man for themselves at that point so Daryl and Beth were on their own for a long time and just out of nowhere one night 
she gets abducted. It's just this car just drives off, um, and it's it's got this white cross painted in the back window. Oh, okay. So that was the car that that Daryl saw in in episode two of this season, and that's yeah. why he's like, "That's the car that took Beth. Let's go." So they went after them. We have no idea who that is or where they're taking, where they took Beth. Now, in this in the um, previews for next week, she's in some sort of hospital, but like we don't. And, and it looks like they're back in Atlanta. From like they they show her looking out the window. Um, yes, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it looks like she's. It looks like they're back in Atlanta, and but that's as that's as much as we know. Like we haven't seen Beth since almost like the middle of last season. That's how long she's been gone. Like she's Fascinating. Been, yeah, she's been gone for a while, and and everyone, it, you know, there was rumors that she was, you know, that she was actually abducted by one of the termites. Um, mm-hmm. But as we come to find out, the termites let people come to them. They don't go out and abduct people, you know. They they set the trap for people to walk into. Yes. They don't go out and hunt. And then they eat. They right. Eat. Yeah. But then, so this is a completely separate entity that we have no idea who or what it is. Gotcha. So I'm pretty excited to see this week's episode. And you still have the contention um, that going back to the first episode when they did the flashback at Terminus, you're of the contention that was not Negan at the end? I don't believe it was, only because I feel like, in, in everything I've read and heard, it sounds like Negan is going to appear at some point. And they made it very clear that every one of those original marauders, let's call them, that, you know, that tore up the termites before they became cannibals, mm-hmm. all of those guys are dead. And I don't think they would have just shown a little glimpse of Negan just to kill him. Okay. So. See, Duke thought would tell you, I just found, so we live in the modern age, no need to speculate anymore. If this website wants to cooperate with me, which it looks like it might not. Oh, well, I guess that's not going to happen. I thought I found a site where it said Robert Kirkman addresses the Negan rumors from the season five premiere. Yeah, I, well. Oh, Robert Kirkman says no, that wasn't Negan. Yeah. Because so. I, I just feel like that I don't, I mean, unless they do something to make him a better character, um, you know, I wasn't really crazy about yeah, the idea of him being in the, that. in the show in the first place. Yeah, I remember but, you guys dissing the comic book version pretty good. Yeah, well, well, all that aside, if and when they do bring him in, it's going to be a big thing. It's not going to be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I that's why I don't, I, I, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that that was possibly Negan until somebody brought it up. So. Gotcha. I thought maybe it was a sly little cameo, but and Duke, Duke had sort of agreed with me. Well, Duke, Duke thought it was him as well, but evidently, um, I'll take it from Robert Kirkman that it was not. I guess I couldn't tell, but evidently that character in the show had face tattoos. 
that was the giveaway. Right, and he was also the guy that they that they rescued. When oh, they was, that was that guy. That was the same guy when they okay. were the guy that looked like Charles Manson. I, couldn't, I, I just saw a picture of it. and I still couldn't see the face tattoo. It was so dark, but I definitely remember. Yeah, that Charles Manson guy. They pulled out of that trailer. Yeah, and then was uh, chomped down on. Right, because that that was pointed out to me by somebody else because I didn't make that connection at first either. But that was definitely. I, but then I went back, and that's definitely the same guy who was in the flashback. So when they got out and overpowered the Marauders, mm-hmm. yeah, they threw that guy into. You know, I guess they were going to save that guy for last or something. So, or they were just going to just keep him in prison forever as kind of a uh, just an fu. So who knows? Indeed. Well, it's quite enjoyable. I, I'm I'm digging it now that I'm caught up on that character, who I guess I had seen before, but just then I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I'm I'm enjoying it. So when uh, we get a full quorum again, we can all join in the uh, revelry. Oh yeah, well I think this is I think this is good enough to keep. I assumed it was. Yeah, this is this is some good talk. <laughs> I think you wanna that was that was our cold open. Yes, cold open for Comic Book Pit, episode 176. Um, I'm Dan. I'm back. I'm Jared. That's, that's Jared. We're talking all over each other tonight. Dan's back. Yeah, it's, it's rusty. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's been, a, you know, it's been a busy couple of weeks, so, uh, but I'm back. And, um, yeah, as we were talking about today, I didn't even get a chance to listen to last, last week's episode yet, but uh, it sounded pretty awesome from from what little I heard when I was editing. It was amazing. It's going to be a, a tough bar to top. This is going to be like a a quiet next episode. Subdued. Yes, if yes. you will. Just very solid in, in you know what we do best. Just uh, no no reaching for heights like <laughs> we did last week. No point. You won't top it. But, uh, oh yeah, I, I mean we're back to the old uh, two host format for this week. We should probably just put on some elevator music and then just leave for, have for an hour and then come back and say, okay, well thanks for tuning into Comic Book Pit. I found some royalty free like hold music <laughs> or the other <laughs> podcast. Sometimes there's instances where edits need to be made and the transitions are not always smooth. Mm-hmm. So I found some royalty free uh, hold music that I use as a patch. Nice. I think it's pretty funny. It makes me laugh. I don't know if the listeners enjoy it or not, but <laughs> not cutting the episodes together makes me giggle. So yeah, good it's, enough. It's those little touches. I think people notice when you, you know, try and add something different into the uh, into the episode. I think I tried that once on on the show. Oh no, I know when I tried it or when I had to do it is because uh, early on in one of our early shows. This is back when the Duke used to come to my house to record the show. Um, one of us spilled like a can of soda all over the place, <laughs> and we, like in, during the show. So I had to like cut it. I mean, there was there was no easy way of you know because when we came back, once we got everything cleaned up and we came back on to record, we're like, okay, so obviously something happened there. Yeah, it just yeah, it was definitely not a uh, not a clean edit, but you know these things happen. They're fun. Makes the you know it makes the show more uh, uh, more entertaining I think. It's organic. Mm-hmm. Very. Well, um. 
kicking off with a very hard segue. Uh, a little self-promotion before we go further. I finished Walrus 3, as uh, folks may have heard me talk about. Cool. I'm sure I mentioned it here. I, mm-hmm. I mentioned it on the other shows. Um, Brian of Silver Media is doing a Kickstarter campaign. So if you're interested in the Walrus and you're interested in little mini, mini comics, like micro comics, if you will, um, then I'll send you a link. We have the link to his Kickstarter in the notes. Uh, you can get in on the, uh, the action. And it's like a little subscription thing, and he sends you them in the mail. And they're all very well done. Uh, Sean Atkins did one. I read that recently. It was spectacular. And I'm not just saying that. Sweet. That was really good, though. I was impressed by it. He, uh, Brian wrote a really, uh, good, strong story, and Sean really came at it with an interesting take, uh, to, with visuals to accompany it. I know talking to him during it, he was kind of, it was a new, it was a challenge for him, which these little books are, because you got like one page, one image per page, almost like a storybook in that sense. Mm-hmm. And it's not like traditional sequential storytelling. Like you can't rely on panel shots and transitions and stuff like that. Like you need that like one image to carry the page. Um, so I remember Sean was telling me he was, you know, it was the challenge for him. He was, you know, working on figuring out and, uh, he definitely solved that puzzle. In a really, really interesting way. And it's, uh, so I believe that will be part of the wave where people go back and they get the uh, next, uh, round of comics. Walrus 3's in it. Sean's comics, all Sea 17's in it. And a whole bunch of others. So I'll get you a link. You can put that in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, yeah, I, I you guys doing those, like, I mean, they're not even mini comics. They're like, matchbook size comics yeah yeah that's how they're sold as the size of matchbook it's um and that's just that that always amazes me i i have uh, just the putting together those small publications like they're so awesome i just got to see uh brian posted a photo on facebook i think it was last night of like the proof sheet or not the proof sheets but the like the sheets of paper like how they look before they're chopped up and bound mm-hmm and it is, it's basically just like a regular piece of paper with like all the pages laid out on it. And then he just snips them up and trims them to, and, and staples them together. But I'd never seen how they were made. As I was showing one to, uh, oh, boy, show over at Copacetic Comics. He's like, oh, this is cool. And instantly just started like reverse engineering it. He's like, oh, so, and I was like, and he's asking me, like, so it's like this and that. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, like, I, <laughs> I never wanted the magic spoiled. Um, now, so right. I, now I didn't know that you were not like did not actually physically put them together. I thought you were part of the whole process. No, I just draw it. Okay, and then I wait, and then I get a bunch sent to me in the mail, and then I dole them out. I could. I mean, I suppose I could. I have a laser printer. I have scissors. Mm-hmm. It, it does look like it would be um, tedious. I think once you went, well, any, with any of this printing and binding, have you ever done, like, put together a little mini comics on your own? Yeah. Okay, so you know what it's like to print stuff out mm-hmm. and, and cut it apart and staple it together and, mm-hmm. and how hit and miss it can be. Oh, yeah. Uh, I burned through, like, a whole toner cartridge this summer with uh, Squatch Brothers and Expressionists just trying to – and then when I finally got it figured out and got the process down – Ran out of toner, which I mean, I, you know, it's weird. They say zero, but it's not zero. It's like a tank of gas. Yeah. 
you still there's some fumes in there. Still a little bit, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just had the the irony of it that it's the printer. You know, when I started doing it, the printer was very it, it was doing everything on its own. I was like, I just had to like push print and hit a button, flip the paper over, and it was like, I was like, oh, this is sweet. And I don't know what happened, but it just stopped. Like it's a wireless printer. It stopped being wireless. It stopped just being convenient. Mm-hmm. And that's when it just became awful. And I do not have the best patience when it comes to stuff like this. Mm, I know what you mean. So there was a one point in time. You've seen the apartment. I don't think you've seen it while I've been here, but you've been in here. Mm-hmm. There's that little hallway between the rooms. Yeah. It was just filled with balled up clumps of paper. <laughs> I was just balling up and throwing out there in disgust. And I had to go and then gather it all up. But yeah, it was... It was a mess. But, hey, all things, all was well that ends well. Got to figure it out. Put in some comics. All was well with the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this at the, uh, I just got the, the lake you said, the Kickstarter page. Yes. Is, so you've, they, uh, raised a significant amount of money. He's very successful with this. Yeah. But that, that doesn't mean folks shouldn't still hop on it. Oh, no, not at all. But I, I'm just, I mean, I'm really impressed with the original goal and then what they, what was, yeah. you know, and there's still over two weeks to go. Yes, that's yeah. in, that's really impressive. The, well, I mean, they're a novel little thing. They're good stories. It's you know, the peanut butter's in the chocolate on this one, and it. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, just today, I don't know if you're familiar with all the different comic sites. There's a site called Comic Bastards, and uh, your silence tells me you're not familiar with it. I am not. Um, and anyway, it, it's a it's a site of comics. Much like a uh, comic book resources or bleeding coal, maybe not you know on such a grand scale, but mm. all the same. I've seen this before; it's out there. It's one of the ones that's out there. They did a write up on it, and uh, old Walrus got a shout out in it as well. Nice. It's always neat to see the little guy getting props in the world. The little comic that could. Yep, that little walrus. People love that walrus. What's not to love? You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> Although it was fun. Um, before I started the third one, I was talking to uh, one of the collaborators from the Love and Monsters book, and he was asking me about the process. I'm like, oh, you know, usually there's like sketches beforehand, you know, and trying not to design on the page anymore. As a book of Walrus, you know, it's third go around with him, and I have him down. And like the first half of the book, I felt like I was walking on my hands. I had to go say that. I had to jinx myself. <laughs> but, well, we make comics, Dan. We talk comics. We talk comics. That's right. That's our motto. So, uh, since you've been gone, uh, if you'd like to kick off our festivities this week. Yeah, and since we're so close to the Halloween, um, it uh, seems appropriate that I, I have a couple of horror books in my stack um, that I've um, was finally able to get caught up on. Well, actually, this one, I, I the first one I'm going to talk about, I actually bought it. Phys- I bought a physical copy, which, like we, you know, I've said many times at this point, I'm, I'm almost all traditional, like you know, digital now, right, with my comic reading. But if a book, um, you know, uh, really appeals to me, I'll I'll buy the physical copy just to support it. Um, 
in that way. Not that, you know, you're not supporting it if you buy a digital copy, but, you know, there's something to be said for having the physical copy in your hands. So I picked up Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, number one, from Archie Comics. And this is by the, this is the same writer of Afterlife with Archie. Okay. Now, originally, when I heard this was coming out, I think I misunderstood, and I thought it was a direct spinoff of Afterlife with Archie. It's not. It's Oh, really? Yeah, it is. It's a reimagining of the Sabrina characters in a more hor- like a, a more of a horror setting than she was originally conceived in, um, which you can actually see her first appearance in this book. It's reprinted in the back the Sabrina the Teen Witch um, and it's very it's very archy um, the art styling and the, the humor um, there's it's 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 an archy book I mean it's it's a you know a teenager who you know it's a teenage witch who is you know trying to charm you know boys and you know she makes love potions and and uh, makes uh, helps the uh, her high school football team win, and and it's, it's very it's very of the time. This um, has a like an equal parts. Uh, well, it's, it starts off pretty pretty horrific. <laughs> it's um, it's got a, a very chilling beginning, and. With uh, the birth of Sabrina herself back in 1951, so this is going to be her, you know, growing up. Um, you know, it it kind of shows her growing up as a child in the 50s with her her two aunts and her. Uh, she has the the cat. I forget Salem. The name. Yes, and so so I the, saw the show. Yeah, <laughs> so so the familiar characters are there: Sabrina, her two aunts, the cat. But it's the the setting. It's it's a darker setting, a lot of dark humor, uh, and some some legitimate, just normal humor. Um, and by the t- by the time we hit the middle of the book, which the first issue is um, really, you seem to get. You, you, I feel like you really get a lot for the uh, three ninety nine. Um, I don't know the page count, but I think it's more than like twenty. 24, um, 22, 24 pages. Um, but this is definitely her as a teenager in high school, uh, you know, walking that fine, that line of trying to be a teenager, but also dealing with the fact that she comes from this supernatural background. And we also see a couple of familiar faces from the Archie world from Riverdale, um, a, a familiar blonde and brunette who are part of a different coven of witches that make an appearance at the end of this issue. And they're trying to concoct some love spell and it goes awry and it brings up this really dark force that's going to be, that you can tell is going to be, uh, you know, uh, more of a antagonist in, uh, in future issues. Um, 
the art was really good too. Uh, now, like I said, it's it's written by the same guy, uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Yes. Um, now, Afterlife with Archie is done by Francesco Francavilla, right. who I think everyone would agree is just brilliant. Um, this uh, this artwork is done by Robert Hack, who uh, was, I, I don't recognize the name, and his art is very. Um, very organic and very, um, in the beginning, it looks very much like an EC comic, like an old horror comic. And there's a slight and subtle change in the art as it moves through the years where it's, it, it, it's very, um, rough and, uh, a lot of like thick brush strokes and very inky, uh, in the beginning. And as it goes on, it, it gets a little tighter, but not so much that it looks like a completely different artist. And the uh, the coloring is really great too. It's it's almost all predominantly um, oranges and browns and a lot of earth tones, and it it really gives you a feel like like every day is autumn, like every day is just like there's really no sun. Every day is just you know. The, the beginning of fall or something like that. Like every day is Halloween, maybe. So, but, but a really good read. Um, just like, you know, I, you can read this independently of Afterlife with Archie. I would highly suggest reading Afterlife with Archie if you haven't, but yeah, it's funny. I, um, I recently dropped it from the pool list. Okay. Just because I, I was good. You know, it's not that it was bad. It's just like, eh. I, yeah. Well, I mean, if you, you I, know. I, I had my fill, so I'm yeah. pushed back from the table. Um, I read up. It comes out very infrequently, so it's not like it was like a Wolverine in the X Men where it was coming out every 20 minutes and just mm-hmm. picking yeah. my pocket. But and I, and I feel like it's it's actually been a while since the last episode. I think they're taking a break. If if I had to guess, um, but what I was going to say is, you know, the, if. If you like that style of, you know, if you like the Archie characters in that horror slash zombie. Yes, it was setup. really well done. It was amazing how it uh, kept. I mean, I'm not like I've read a ton of Archie. I don't think anybody read a ton of Archie, but I think we all know <laughs> enough. We all know enough yeah. to know the dynamic of the characters. Right. And know when we see it and how it stayed true to that, but also like grounded it. If you as it made them, you know, three dimensional uh, people. And then turned all those conventions on its head with, you know, putting it against an outbreak of a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was really well done. It's just like, it's like eh, how long can this really keep going? And uh, the one I left, well, I thought, too, that that Sabrina book would be tied in. Because the last issue that I read, I think was issue six. And that was uh, Sabrina-centric, where she's off in some nether realm being made the Bride of Cthulhu. Well, well, that's what's what's interesting because Sabrina and her aunts are in Afterlife with Archie because they're. I think that's how the whole. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how. I always love telling that starts. story. So Reggie runs over Hot Dog, Jughead's dog. Jughead takes Hot Dog's corpse to Sabrina and asks her to revive him, and she and Sabrina employs black magic that she's not supposed to use, and resurrects the dog as a zombie, and that. Genesis is the zombie outbreak, and Sabrina's aunt, uh, as punishment, banish her to some nether realm. Mm-hmm. So it's always fun telling that recap with those characters 
<laughs> yeah, but, but like I said, the the books are very much independent of each other. So you can pick up Sabrina number one without having to have read any Afterlife with Archie. Yeah. Um, like it's just another reimagining of the characters. Um, yeah, because I was a little confused when I first read this because I was like, well, wait a second, this takes place in the fifties and sixties. And as far as I understand, Afterlife with Archie is pretty much a present day yes. book. I, yeah, I can't remember but, if there's anything that really like ties it in. I'm trying to think if they have cell phones or not, but they probably. I don't remember. It had a, the Afterlife has a rather timeless feel to it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that really grounds in any one uh, yeah, date or time. But I think, but the just the the way that Archie, just the Archie property in general. I think it's always in the present day. Like no matter yes. where, you know, it's just it's always advancing. Even though the the characters and stories are timeless, I feel like they always manage to set their stories in whatever time period it's being published. Right. You know. Um, so that that was just my assumption going into Afterlife with Archie. And might as well. Same with Sabrina. Um, but then. You know, it opens with, it says 1951. I think, okay. So they're telling a little backstory. And then it's like, no, there's Sabrina. So anyways, but that, that, that's either here nor there. Anyway, um, but the point is, you can, like I said, read this independently of, of Archie or read it with Archie as a, like a, just a companion book. Um, but it, it was a good first issue and I'm, I'm definitely going to keep getting it. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, Speaking of first issues that we both liked and stuck with, we'll work the segues in anyway we can. Um, I read Superman 35 last week, and it tied into Halloween. I got the Monster Variant cover by Jason Pearson, because while it has no connection whatsoever to anything Superman or the book, it's Jason Pearson artwork, and I got me a soft spot for that. So Yeah, that's a guy we just don't see enough of anymore. No, that's another dude who's, uh, I follow him on Facebook, and he's an intense character. But I, I, I'm just glad that we are seeing some work from him again, because there was a, a dark spot for a while there, where there was nothing. And it seemed like he may have been down in the dumps. But we're not TMZ, we're comic book pits. So. Now, I'm sorry, I just want need to interrupt for a second. So I'm, I, I didn't, I, I think we, we did not get that variant. Um, at the store that I work at. So, what is? Uh, I'm trying to look it up online. Is it? Um, um, it's like who, who's on who, who's the cover or what is the cover of the variant? How about I just send you a picture on my okay. phone? <laughs> it's like this like leather clad looking beast with eye lasers shooting out from all over. Oh, okay. You know what? I found it. Yeah, and yeah. um, it wasn't a chase variant. It was a fifty fifty. Because it was on the shelf. At, uh, yeah, I think you know. Sometimes, um, just to, you know, because of the store I, I work at is one of five. The uh, the variants seem to, you know, they're they're just um, distributed, uh, just here and there. You know, it's just I I, I I don't know how they're distributed, but um, that so is guess, that is pretty horrific. Allowed- that looks like Hellraiser meets Superman. Yes. Yes. I don't know if we're allowed to discuss this. That shop you work for, mm-hmm. does, it places all of its orders if it's, as if it's one store and then doles yes. them out? Yes. Oh, I mean, so getting variants must be cake for them. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, they, yeah, they they order so much to begin with. Yeah, 
and they can easily hit those ratios to get. Yeah. Fascinating. But then it's just a matter of once they get into which one gets them. Right. So, I mean, I think there have been instances where, you know, like my manager has placed specific orders for a specific variant cover. Um, you know, because there are a lot of customers that are still into, you know, uh, there was one guy a few weeks ago who's like, I want, uh, I want three issues of every Death of Wolverine plus whatever variants. She's like, I don't care what they are, I just want them all. We're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, you're we'll, killing the industry. We'll, no. <laughs> we'll do, we'll, we will do what we can. Yes, sir. Um, anyway, but that was, but not yeah. to interrupt, but that was Correct. okay. So here nor that is a awesome cover by Jason Pearson. Yes. So when I saw that, I definitely grabbed that one. Um, this is still good. I'm still enjoying it. This was very much a mid chapter installment of this overarching storyline with that Ulysses character. Um, he's like the analog Superman where it turns out he's actually, um, I guess from this earth's past, they sent him and his parents had tried to, it was, his origin was set up very much like Superman's where like his parents were scientists, the earth was like in peril. So they tried to send him to a world to be safe here. They sent him like some ultimate dimension and he's come back and it turns out he's from this same earth that, you know, Superman and such lives on and he just was gone all this time. Now he's back older and la-di-da. So now he's trying to find his way into this world. And there's been this new villain called the Machinist introduced in this storyline, which is a very interesting uh, new bad guy for mm-hmm. Superman. Um, again, nothing that really, like, there was no, like, holy cow moment in this issue. It's very strong, It's but it just very much, you know, it serves to tell the story. You know, there's no... Um, it does introduce a new wrinkle, though, with this Ulysses character and sort of He's not fitting in. He's not finding a place for himself in this world. And uh, he makes a decision. I don't want to spoil it because I know you haven't read it yet, but I'll try and do a spoiler-free review here for a change on the show. <laughs> so he sort of makes a decision that, you know, he does not fit on in this world. He feels like there might be other people that feel like him, so he does something at the end that uh, is going to create a new um, philosophical debate for the old man of steel. Hmm. What I, uh, I do... Uh, really dig about this is Jeff Johns doesn't write Superman the Superman as if he's like some sort of god among men. I guess he's very powerful, but he's, there's limits to his abilities. Like there's a scene where he picks up like a uh, a giant boat. I don't think it's like a it's like a, a shipping boat. You know, okay. With all the little, and uh, both him and Ulysses have to pick it up together. You can see he's not quite strong enough to lift it by himself. Mm-hmm. But uh, the two of them together, you can just plop it right out of the water. Um, I really dig that. I like that. Uh, you know, I always liked Superman. The criticism was always he's so powerful, he's not interesting. To which I would respond, like, if you're a writer and you're having that dilemma, just scale him back. There's no rule that says he has to be omnipotent. Mm-hmm. You don't have to invoke all the uh, on-the-fly powers they gave him back in the Golden Age just to get themselves out of stories. Um, he can you know, have a limit to that. So I really do appreciate that. The uh, Junior Junior artwork, uh, even I looked at one panel, I'm like, that, this pose makes no sense to me. <laughs> like, there's a scene, and once you get to it, you'll probably know what I mean. It's on one, two, page four, panel three. Like, the way his 
Superman's chest is like super puffed and his chin's tucked into it. Oh, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about because I, I, like, I don't was know flipping through it. Yeah, I saw. I'm like, well, there he is. There's, yeah. there's JRJR. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really dig the story. This bad guy is interesting. I think he's a really cool bad guy for Superman, and uh, the story's kept my interest. So I am definitely going to keep with this. I really don't know how much long. I mean, we'll see what happens when this creative team leaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I stick, I mean, I picked it up because of Junior Junior, the uh, novelty of him drawing Superman. So if I stick with it going forward, like, I don't imagine he's going to do some decade-long run. I think this is the start of a run on the book that's going to rival Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this is just this may, may be just here for the storyline or what have you. But um, I mean, I'll be playing it by ear. But for right now, I'm interested in this story. You know, we'll follow it through to its conclusion. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. Um, I'm also curious because I feel like. Um, I feel like Ulysses has a has a limited shelf life. Like, how long can he? Yes. Well, as you read this issue, I think we see the turning point. Okay. Uh, in this character. Okay. All right. Cool. Then I'll have to. I'll. I'll definitely have to read that tonight. Yeah. Yeah. The the what has been status quo? Like the, your question, like how long can he? Well, his character is taking a turn. Or I think um, since we first started reading this arc, I think the the feeling, at least that I have, and I, I'm I'm assuming it might be shared by you, is that yeah, like when is the other shoe? Like you know, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like what's going to happen? You know, yeah, it's just because because it's just you know there. DC and Marvel don't introduce a lot of hero characters. They're they're great at you know it's like oh here's bad guy number three thousand and forty seven, but it's really hard for them to introduce new heroes, or at least heroes that have any staying power. Right. So, you know, it, what is you know, do they want him to be like the next century? You know, the like DC's version of the century, like. This guy that they just bring in who's like Superman, but just not nearly as popular. Uh, I have nothing to base this on, and uh, this issue doesn't even really inform this opinion. Um, I think this character is finite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was my feeling as well. I just wondered which direction they were going to take him in, if he was going to go. And I'm not even sure which. I mean, it could still go one way or the other with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this issue kind of makes you think one thing, but it could end up going another. But I still think this is a care. I don't think this character is going to be, you know, on lunch boxes anytime soon. Oh, no, no. I mean, not unless he gets rid of that mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's his thing. Yeah. Well, um, so I've got, so speaking of, uh, mullets. Yes, took the word no. <laughs> Speaking of uh, uh, big bombastic superheroics and Superman god characters, um, I read the first three issues of Imperial from Image. Um, this is a book that I, I noticed on the shelves, but I just uh, kept forgetting to check out. It, it looked somewhat interesting, and... And also, 
I kind of had a, I, I was always questioning the, the covers because the covers are what they're almost pre, all predominantly white. It's like a, the, the title of Imperial is white on a, like white letters on a white background. Yes. And the art is always, the art on the covers always looks very washed out. Like not the, the colors are very muted and the very opposite of dynamic. Yeah. So I wasn't really sure what to expect when I when I started reading it, but you can kind of tell just by looking at the the cover of issue one that this is going to be a passing of the torch from the older experienced hero to the younger hero. It's a it's a legacy character. Um, but what you what you come to find out is this Superman analog, this hero named Imperial. The crown that he wears is uh, sentient and it's oh. so it, it works like the like the green lantern power ring okie dokie where it's it's telling the current imperial who his successor is going to be like he doesn't he doesn't get to choose the crown is choosing and it chooses this guy this uh average joe named mark who is about to get married and he's kind of a just the average like i said he's just an average Joe, he's not really the brightest. He's got uh, uh, terrible speaking habits. I mean, he's just like just just someone that you, you might be hang, sitting next to in a bar, who's you know three beers in and talking about how much his favorite sport team, sports team sucks. You know, just um, but he gets approached by Imperial, and Imperial is very very proper and very heroic and he's very powerful and and this guy just doesn't know how to deal and it's it, it, it's an interesting dichotomy between the two and where you know the you start to see each of them affect the other where you know um mark starts to actually believe that he could be that he's not just this loser or i shouldn't say loser he's not a loser but he's just he's just kind of just a dude. He's just like one of us. He's, you know, what makes me so special type of mentality. And he really starts to believe that he could be something more than what he is. And in one issue, Mark introduces Imperial to the idea to a s'more. I was just reading that issue. He's never, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny. It's, you know, this, uh, because Imperial, you know he's human, but he's he doesn't require any of the things that we require: eating, uh, you know, companionship, uh, sleep. You know, he's very much just almost like a force of nature at this point. He's just godlike. Out of curiosity, in this, have they addressed what will happen to uh, Imperial once the torch is passed? That kind of comes up in issue at the end of issue three okay which i don't want to say too much but he he allows you know he's training he's starting he's starting to train mark to take over as the next imperial and he allows him to you know he he wants to give him a taste of what it's going to be like so he you know puts the puts the crown on his head for a, for a moment and, okay. and you kind of see 
what the current imperial, you know, what he, what he is like without the crown. So, yeah, there is definitely, um, you know, you, you really have no idea how old he is, how long he's been imperial. Um, they, they make very, very vague references to it here and there, but, but, you know, but just the overall, um, feeling is he's just been imperial for a long, long time and it's time for him to, uh, uh, pass it on to someone else. Um, the only thing I, that, the only couple of, uh, nitpicks I had was that, you know, he, this guy Mark, he is engaged and he's got this great fiance and they're, they love each other and they're just, you get, they're written really well together, but he has yet to tell his fiance about all of this, even though That's it looks like, because the covers all make it seem like she's right there. Right. Exactly. That's so I thought it was going to be this almost like a bizarre love triangle of, you know, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, they're both vying for Mark's attention or, you know, who's he going to choose? Is he going to choose to be married or is he going to choose to be Imperial type of thing? Is there um, a reason he can't do both? No, they, they really haven't gone into it. Like I said, there's, it, it wasn't like Imperial said, um, you know, once you're Imperial, you have to forsake all relationships or, you know, you have to be Imperial, tw- you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's, um, they just haven't addressed it yet. And, and I, yeah, you, it's not really sure. It's not clear why he hasn't talked about it with his, uh, fiance yet. Um, and the other thing is, this is just weird. Like, uh, I think the art's really good, but so far, there, like, you don't see aside from a whole like three main characters and one appearance of a, a bad guy, you really don't see anyone else. Like, there's no one. It's almost like they're on this. They're just all by themselves everywhere. <laughs> like, there's no other people around anywhere. It's just really weird. Sounds like comics I make. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I just feel like, it, and and it's like like I said, it's it, the art's really good. I, I'm I'm really this guy uh, Mark Dos Santos right um, does the super heroics really well, and he does the subtle facial expressions really well, and just like I mean, he's got the he's got the comedic stuff down along with the super heroic stuff. So. Um, yeah, I just, uh, it'd be, it'd be nice to see if there was, you know, more, if maybe, I think this is what I'm trying to say. I, I think there should be a, a slightly larger supporting cast. Gotcha. Like, like, I feel like there's some, should be someone for Mark to talk to about this. If he, if he doesn't want to talk to his fiance, there should be someone he can go to. Gotcha. Um, I, as I say, reading the, uh, the, um, blurbs, if you will, on Image's website, it almost seems like it's just a movie. It's, I mean, I haven't read it, so I can't speak to if it's, you know, written as a movie that's being broken into a comic, but mm-hmm. it definitely sounds like it has all the trappings of being a movie. Yeah, it, it's, it could definitely be adapted uh, into a, a movie or a TV show or something. It, it, it has a very tongue-in-cheek um uh, sitcom, you know, it could be like a, a cable TV show or something like that. 
Um, but yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's an enjoyable series. It's not it, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's it's uh, like I said, it's definitely uh, it's put a nice spin on it. Yeah, it's it, it, it's enjoyable. Um, they just have to do something about their covers. I think their covers are terrible. Well, I mean, they're, they're well done. I mean, the technically they're well drawn. It looks yeah. like they're all it's it's hand colored it, and everything. Yeah, it's not the art so much as just the the art choices, like the the uh, the art design of yeah, it. Yeah, just the design the of, it, the, the, of it. The 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 white on white on white. I mean, Imperial's costume is all white except for his blue cape. You have every cover has a white background, and the word Imperial is all white. Yeah. And everything, like I said, everything just looks very washed out. It does. I mean, you tell it's obviously by design. Yeah. But it's not... They almost have a... It's not very exciting. And I feel like, you know, covers, I mean, you know, comic book covers are basically, you know, the, the movie poster for a book. And these are some pretty boring posters, in my opinion. Norman Rockwell feel to it? Yeah, that's a good point. And and, and that, I think that would be good for one issue, but after that, I feel, or maybe a variant cover or something, if you want to, but, you know, I think if, if, if you're telling a story about a Superman analog in this, you know, I, I just feel like you should make it more exciting. I mean, people aren't really going to understand... You know, just at a first glance, you know. Yes, it could be doing a disservice to the book. It might be. Exactly. Exactly. It's not really going to draw much attention. Well, Image needs to get you in the focus group then so you can (laughs) take your notes. Are you buying this as a uh, physical book or are you getting it digital? No, I'm I'm reading these uh, digitally. Okay. I would say uh, kudos to Image for uh, the digital price is less than the physical price. Oh, very good. And I give props to them because, like, Mar- I, I don't know DC, but I know at least Marvel charges the same, and it, it boggles my mind because mm-hmm. the overhead is not the same for the two products. It's, it's definitely not. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense to me. But the only, yeah, the only thing is because um, I, I just bought a couple of books. The only thing is you don't get charged tax on Comixology. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said that like it was a bad thing. I mean, do you have to? Re- are, are you one of them cats that reports it yourself? No, I just, I was just surprised. I just, <laughs> I purchased this. Here's your taste. No, it's just, it's just nice. It's like, just you don't have to pay tax. So, so it's a straight up buck ninety nine. Yeah, or three ninety nine or whatever. So yeah, no tax. Cool, cool. Well, I don't really have a segue for my next book, so I'm just <laughs> going to get into it. Um, I read last week as well, Godzilla Cataclysm number three. Uh, written by Colin Bunn and drawn by friend of the show, Dave Wachter. And uh, pretty much it's set, like, into the future after the, you know, monsters, you know, Godzilla, Mothra, uh, and gang pretty much laid waste to the world. So it's like a post-apocalyptic world. And the monsters have kind of been gone, but now they are all back with a vengeance. And it's like, it takes place in Japan. Yeah, I'll just read this. The story so far, a huge fight, a huge battle between Godzilla, Bilawante, I guess is how you say it, which is like some new monster that, like these survivors, they live like in a little village. They go out to the ruins of the city and forge, and they discover this Bilawante or whatever. It's like this organic monster. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it wakes up, and that's when Godzilla and Mothra appear, and they return. 
Um, so the huge battle between those three has scared the human encampment nearby, leaving them questioning what to do next. Uh, Elder Hiroshi remembers his involvement in the monster cataclysm of decades past, as Shiori observes a fragment of Belmonte beginning to blossom. Shiori is his grandson. Uh, Hiroshi is the elder who the story is like told through his point of view. Uh, his full backstory has not been revealed yet, but there's hints that he was part of a group that was like trying to mind control the monsters back during their grand monster war in the past. And like he evidently it failed and he's still haunted by this. So it's, uh, I mean, it, it's fine. The writing's fine. I mean, these monster stories are always kind of tough, I think. Because mm-hmm. these monster stories, and if this is crude, forgive me, it's kind of like porn. You know, the, the plot is secondary. It's the, you just want that monster-on-monster action. <laughs> That's really what we came for. Um, so when they introduce these human characters and build these stories around them, for me as a reader, it's always kind of a struggle because it, this isn't, you know, the adventures of Elder Hiroshi. This is Godzilla. So I just went like Godzilla. Even the movie, actually, the, the movie this past summer, I felt suffered from that. Um, at any rate, but it's a beautifully drawn book. Dave knocks it out of the park. Uh, the story, it's, it's, I'm curious to know more about what this dude did in the past and this monster control. And it appears we'll get more delved into that in the next issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the politics of the post-apocalyptic village is fascinating because the monsters have just, you know, reemerged after years of being gone and people are going into hysterics. And I, obviously this was written before the Ebola outbreak, but there is sort of little parallels there. You can see when something, you know, something of nature occurs and humans get all scared and overreact and that silliness. Cause there's like people that are talking about like, the monsters are back. Do we have to start like sacrificing people again? Is it, like, <laughs> who's going? And it's, and so, uh, stuff like that was humorous. I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I said, with these things, it's always kind of, like I said, the monsters aren't really characters in a sense in these books. They're kind of just there. Mm-hmm. So it kind of is a bit of a, a detraction for me, but, uh, I'll stick with it. It looks good. I enjoy the artwork. Dave's doing a, f- a fine job on it. So for that alone, I'll keep coming back. But um, there is some interesting elements to this story, so I'm not going to just totally write it off on that end either. It looks like they they are you know trying to take that difficult task of these monster stories and the humans that no one really cares about. They're just fodder, but trying to make them interesting and give them something of worth. Mm-hmm. So I'm and it's the uh, take of them like trying to like as mind controlling the monsters and trying to use them it is interesting to me. So I'm curious to see that played out and what comes out of that part of the story. Cool. Yeah, I'm. I, I feel bad. This is one of the books that I'm woefully behind on. Um, I have, I think, issues two and three waiting for, waiting in my pull box at uh, at the store that I just keep forgetting to pick up. And uh, yeah, because I I love me some uh, some Dave Wachter art, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed the first issue enough that, that I was going to plan on get the rest, but yeah. Same here. So yeah, I've been getting it uh, faithfully. Now I did get the uh, variant cover for this one, just because I I thought it looked cool. Mm-hmm. Nothing against the cover Dave drew, but <laughs> the variant just 
hey, sometimes they're just fun to have. They're just, yeah. you know, that's why they're variants. Yep. And, you know, it wasn't it was just, just like the uh, Superman. It was uh, Chase, you know, not Chase. It was just a 50-50, so. Mm-hmm. But I just realized now, like, the two books from last week, I both got the variant covers. An unintentional hmm. theme to the books. Interesting. It's funny how it just works out that way sometimes. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, kind of said in our pre-show that my uh, my other book was unintentionally about it had a horror element and it was about witches, and that's uh, witches number one from uh, from Image. Is and this Scott Snyder? Yes, Scott Snyder and Jock. Ooh. Yeah. So that that you know, a creative team like that is usually enough to get me to at least check out anything uh, that they do. Um, and Scott Snyder doing horror is also, you know, that is pretty. That's, that's, yep, that's what he cut his teeth on. Yeah. Well, that's what I started reading of his when he, you know, I, American Vampire right. and Severed, um, just incredible stories, so well. You know, well written and horrific. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so this one, uh, this one kind of uh, which is number one. It just has, it's like it's got all the elements of a horror movie. When you're read, uh, you know, when you're reading it, it has this really uh, twisted opening, like a like a cold open. Um, there's a isolated house in the woods. There's animals doing strange things, um, uh, like a like an appearance a, 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 uh, that comes and goes of this like this slender this person. You're just not really sure what it is, um, and all these elements are kind of sprinkled throughout the issue, and and like I said it. it there's even a moment where, you know, you have this kind of light moment where the uh, there's this kind of father daughter bonding moment where they're and they're joking around and it's cute and it's funny. It's 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 the one kind of light moment in the story. Um, but it's and it builds towards this uh, uh, kind of cliffhanger that is uh it, it, it is on a, it just ends on a cliffhanger, but basically the, um, the story is, you know, that after the cold open, these, uh, young girl, this teenager, her name is Sailor, uh, and her parents moved to a new town. Uh, they had to move because this, uh, bullying incident concerning Sailor ended tragically. This girl that was, going to do some horrible things to Sailor, uh, disappeared. Although you see what happens in the book to the rest of the community at large, she just disappears. And even though it was discovered that the girl had a lot of, uh, emotional issues and, you know, had a tendency towards violence, um, uh, it just, you know, the, the, the family was, was just, you know, there, there was no way they could stay in their old town. So they moved, trying to start over, and they're finding that this horror element is kind of following them. You know, and, um, I mean, just Snyder and Jock just, you know, they just pull off this story so well. Um, and it's, you know, everything from, 
the the little details of the parents, um, you know, the like the dad is uh, a graphic novelist, the mom's in a wheelchair, uh, it's Sailor's first day of school in high school, and you know that some that by itself can be, you know, just going to school can be horrific, you know. So you just you have all these um, uh, just all these great uh, character details that you know the, the characters are in the first issue are pretty well fleshed out, uh, just enough to get you interested in their story. Um, and then, you know, and then the weird supernatural things start happening that really, you know, that starts amping up uh, the tension in the book. And it really, um, yeah, it's like, you're not really sure what's going on or where it's going, but, you know, you kind of want to be along for the ride. Cool. So, and like I said, I mean, um, Scott Snyder and Jock together, you can't, you know, that's, that's, that's a, that's a win-win. Indeed. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So that's, uh, yes, sir. That, that, yeah, I, I don't think I can talk about any more horror books. I'm kind of getting scared. No. No. I, uh, we don't have to go full into it. We can play out on this one. Uh, you watching Flash? Um, I'm behind on that, but I'm, I'm behind on Flash, Arrow, and Gotham. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I only watch Flash. I enjoy it immensely. Oh, it's been, it's been great. I, I've watched the first three episodes. I'm, I think I'm just behind one episode. Oh, so you missed, uh... Captain Cold. Captain Cold. Yeah. Well done. I mean, I'm not that up to speed, no pun intended, on <laughs> the history of flashing characters. I did read, you know, the new 52 flash for a while. Um, and I have, you know, whatever. I, you know, I have a very cursory knowledge of, of the characters. But, uh, that said, I, I enjoy how it's being done. And, uh, it, overall, it definitely, uh, respects the source material, but it's, uh, being its own program, it's delivering what it advertised itself as, and it's just really, really well done. I really enjoy the the performances and the writing on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you could be cynical about it and be like, oh, it's hokey and cliched, but it makes no bones about what it's trying to be, and it's doing what it's trying to be very, very well. So I, I definitely appreciate that. And that dude from Law and Order that plays the uh, Joe West is just. It's delivering strong oh, performances. Yeah, Jesse Jesse Martin's a great actor. Yes, and um, I love Tom Cavanaugh because he's oh he's he, he's equal parts charming and funny and evil. Yes, it's like and it, boys he he can definitely swing all ends of the spectrum and do it uh, with such a plum. And yeah, it, it's really really well done. And uh, without spoiling anything, uh, this past the Captain Cold episode definitely introduced some more. Uh, uh, drama into the mix, mm-hmm. but you know it. You know, without sacrificing any of the lightness that the show is known for as well. And uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. And I, it's off next week, so you have time to catch up. I don't know if that's because they only did like a short order to begin with, or I don't know what's going on next week on CW. Maybe CW is doing election coverage, and that's why they're off next week. But mm. who knows? It'll be back on November 11th. Okay, so just one week. 
So yeah, it's not just bad. Me. Yeah, first when they're like, we'll be back on November 11th. You're like, oh my gosh. But then you look at the calendar <laughs> and like, oh, it's just two weeks. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I uh, again, not well, now that baseball is over, I will tune in for it. I've been watching the World Series instead. Uh, so, I, But I will uh, tune in on Tuesday nights at 8. And then I will uh, make Sean Atkins <laughs> listen to a recap of it on the Figured Out podcast. <laughs> Because we record that program right after at at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays. Okay. So I'll just make him be the flash recast for the next couple weeks. <laughs> nice. Well, there could you know, hey, there are definitely worse things to talk about. So, but no, I'm I'm, I'm glad that it. I mean, I'm 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 really happy that it's so well received. Now, did you gripe that he keep that the show uh, begins with "My name is Barry Allen. I'm the fastest man alive." Yeah, that was me. That's that's just like. The theme song, if you will. I, now, if it's doing that, like in season seven, then I'd be like, "Yes, this is overdone." But well, I mean, it's the uh, what fifth, fourth episode. It's yeah, but they but they do that every and, and with Arrow. Well, do they still still do that with Arrow? I don't watch Arrow, so I can't. Speak I think they it. still do it with Arrow. Um, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go out of character and not be cynical and be like, it's still early. You know, it's still people are still catching on to this thing. It's if if it was the actual plot of the episodes mm-hmm. were shoehorning that in, then I would uh, roll my eyes with you. But since it's sort of like the recap theme song bit of this show, I'm, I'm going to cut it some slack for a while. But actually, if it if it continues, I think down I, the road, I I might hop on that. I think I first got tired of it way back years ago when I was really into Burn Notice. Oh, yeah. Wasn't they, that like how that show every started episode, as well? It was it, like the, not, not the theme the, song. No, of it, but. it was just every episode started with him, my name is Michael Weston, and talking about, telling his story and and that until the very last episode. And I think that went yeah. like seven seasons. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm of... I just I get it, but on the other hand, I also get why they do it. I get your uh, your aversion to it, but I also get the necessity for it. I, and, and I would it's understand necessary. that for for one season, maybe two, but after that, I, it's I like do something it's different. Old Stan Lee role every episode, someone's first, even if it's the last episode. So. Yeah, but but how did television last this long without them doing those openings? I don't know. I don't so know. That, that, that's what I mean. It's like. It, by the grace of God, <laughs> TV. <laughs> How did we ever decide to enjoy television if they didn't tell us everything in the first thirty seconds? Seasons of Mash. If they didn't tell me at the beginning yeah. of every episode. My name is Hawkeye did... Pierce. <laughs> I'm the I'm the funniest doctor in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is my friend Trapper. He's a drunk. <laughs> Anywho, people are like, who's Hawkeye and who's Trapper? Hawkeye? That guy from the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think... Yes, uh, sir. Yeah, yeah. Match reference is a good place to end it, so... <laughs> yeah, it's always a good place to end a podcast in 2014. Now I'm going to go watch some Match because I miss it. Yeah, I'm going to watch some late-run Match where it got all didactic and preachy. Mm. <laughs> That's kind of... I mean, I watched it to the very end, but I definitely didn't... In, didn't enjoy the last seasons as much as I did. Uh, I remember being a kid and like, I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, well, this isn't, like, there's one where they, 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 
smothered a kid and like Hawkeye's like remembering it and like first it's like a woman holding a chicken. Oh, that was that was the finale. Well, that was the finale. Yeah. Okay. As a kid, like, I didn't realize that was the finale. But I'm like, what the hell just happened to Mash? Like, this isn't funny. It'd be funny, Mash. I think this is all like. Yeah, I, I saw that as when I was not like when it aired as a kid. I saw it in repeats as a kid, and just being like, what the heck? Yeah, because that's because at the in the finale he was. I think he might have been in a, a mental hospital. I, that sounds uh, familiar. I think it was like a, yeah, that wasn't like a live thing where he was hallucinating and seeing chickens. It was like how right. it was a flashback. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, people were like, what are yes. they talking about? They're still talking about MASH. They said they were going to stop. Like, this show was supposed to be over. Like, where's that music? Next week on MASH Talk. Yeah. <laughs> let's, talk MASH about, let's talk about Colonel Henry Blake and his fishing hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Colonel that, Potter or Colonel Blake? Oh, Colonel Blake. <laughs> Colonel Blake all the way. I don't know. There's a soft spot for Harry Morgan. You know what? I, I liked uh, Colonel Potter early better than Colonel Potter later. Colonel Potter when Raider was still around. Ah. That yes. that was my favorite Colonel Potter. Yeah. So. Colonel Potter. All right. Um and. Screw Charles Winchester. Always. Yes. Bring back uh, Ferret Face. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, for reals this time. All right. So this has been Comic Book Fit, episode 176. I'm Dan. I'm Jared. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>